0: Hello and welcome to the Zero to Finals podcast. My name is Tom and in this episode I'm going to be talking to you about Syndrome of Inappropriate Antidiuretic Hormone, also known as SIADH. If you want to follow along with written notes on this topic, you can follow along at zerodefinals.com SIADH or in the endocrinology section of the Zero to Finals Medicine book. Let's start with some basic pathophysiology of SIADH. Antidiuretic hormone is produced by the hypothalamus and secreted by the posterior pituitary gland. It's also known as vasopressin, and the job of ADH is to stimulate water reabsorption from the collecting ducts in the kidneys. So it takes water out of the urine in the collecting ducts and puts it back into the blood. SIADH is a condition where there's inappropriately large amounts of ADH hormone. And this may be the result of the posterior pituitary gland secreting too much ADH or the ADH coming from somewhere else, for example, a small cell lung cancer. The excessive ADH results in excessive water reabsorption from the collecting ducts in the kidneys and this dilutes the sodium in the blood. So you end up with a low sodium concentration, which we call a hyponatremia. The excessive water reabsorption is not usually significant enough to cause a fluid overload, so you end up with something called a uvolemic hyponatremia, where their fluid balance is normal, but their sodium concentration has been diluted and they have a hyponatremia. The urine becomes more concentrated as less water is being excreted by the kidneys, so patients with SIADH have a high urine osmolality and a high urine sodium. So what are the symptoms of SIADH? Well the symptoms relate to having a hyponatremia and they're quite non-specific. So it's things like headache, fatigue, muscle aches and cramps and in severe hyponatremia you can have confusion, seizures and reduced consciousness. SIADH has countless causes. Some of the key causes that you'll come across are post-operative, so if they have major surgery, quite often people get an SIADH post-op, infections, particularly atypical pneumonias and lung abscesses, head injury, medication like thiazide diuretics, carbamazepine, vincristine, cyclophosphamide, antipsychotics, SSRI medications and non-steroidal anti-inflammatory medications or NSAIDs, Malignancy can be a cause of SIADH, particularly small cell lung cancer. So, you need to keep the possibility of lung cancer in mind when you see somebody with severe SIADH. And finally, meningitis. So, how do you establish a diagnosis? In a way, SIADH is a diagnosis of exclusion, as we don't have a reliable test to measure the ADH activity itself. So, we need to go on clinical examination and ruling out other causes of a hyponatremia. Clinical examination will show uvolemia, so their fluid balance will be intact, and the ease will show a hyponatremia. Then you check the urine sodium and the urine osmolality, and the urine sodium and urine osmolality will be high because the water is being reabsorbed out of the kidneys, so the urine is becoming more concentrated. Then you need to exclude other causes of hyponatremia, so this is Things like adrenal insufficiency, so you need a short synactin test to be negative to show that they have normally functioning adrenal glands. You want to exclude any history of diuretic use, diarrhea, vomiting, burns, or excessive sweating where they may have lost the sodium. You also want to exclude excessive water intake because if they're drinking too much water, it'll have the same effect as SIADH. And you want to make sure that they don't have any chronic kidney disease or acute kidney injury as this can also cause hyponatremia. After you've established a diagnosis of SIADH, you want to establish the cause. And sometimes this will be really clear. So you might have introduced a new medication, the patient might have a severe chest infection or they might have just been post-op from major surgery. And when you have a really clear cause, treating that cause can improve the hyponatremia, which will confirm your diagnosis. When you don't have a clear cause, it's worth doing a chest x-ray, and this will exclude pneumonia or a lung abscess or even a lung cancer. And if you still don't have the cause, you really have to suspect malignancy in someone with a persistent hypernatremia with no clear cause, particularly if they have a history of smoking or weight loss or other features of cancer. If malignancy is suspected, then the NICE clinical knowledge summaries from March 2015. Recommend doing a CT, thorax, abdomen, and pelvis, and an MRI of the brain to try and find where there might be a malignancy. Next, let's talk about management of SIADH. The first aim is to establish the cause and then treat that cause. So, if it's caused by pneumonia, you treat the pneumonia, and the SIADH and hyponatremia should improve. It's most common for medications to be the cause, so if it's possible, it's worth stopping the causative medication. It's also essential to correct the sodium slowly to prevent a condition called central pontine myelinolysis. And the aim of correcting sodium slowly is to cause a change in sodium of less than 10 millimoles per liter per 24 hours. So if you're checking the use and ease every day, you don't want that sodium to change more than 10 millimoles per liter in the 24-hour period. So a few management options that we have. The first is fluid restriction and this involves restricting their fluid intake to somewhere between 500 milliliters and one litre per day and this is often enough to correct the hyponatremia because it concentrates the blood and therefore increases the sodium concentration. If the fluid restriction is not successful and you've not managed to treat the underlying cause we have an option called tolvaptan, and vaptans are ADH receptor blockers and they're very powerful and they can cause a really rapid rise in sodium. So usually they're initiated by a very specialist endocrinologist who has experience in using vaptans and they require very close monitoring. For example, 6-hourly sodium levels to make sure the sodium is not corrected too quickly. Finally, we used to use something called demeclocycline, which is a tetracycline antibiotic that's known to inhibit ADH. And this was the main treatment that we used prior to the development of Vaptans but it's now rarely used because it's been mostly replaced by the Vaptans. The final thing I'm going to talk about is central pontine myelinolysis as this is quite a rare complication but it's very important because it can lead to severe complications. Central pontine myelinolysis or CPM is also known as osmotic demyelination syndrome and this is probably a more accurate description of the condition. It's a complication of long-term severe hyponatremia being treated too quickly and typically we talk about more than a 10 millimoles per litre increase over a 24-hour period. Basic pathophysiology is that as the blood sodium level falls, water starts to move by osmosis across the blood-brain barrier into the cells of the brain from the area of low concentration of solutes in the blood to the area of high concentration of solutes in the brain. And what happens is this causes the brain to swell and the brain adapts to this by reducing the amount of solutes in the brain cells so that the water is balanced across the blood-brain barrier and the brain does not become too edematous. So, put really simply, this is an adaptive method by the brain to stop there being an imbalance between the amount of solutes in the blood and the brain. As the blood concentration of solutes drops, the brain concentration of solutes also drops. And it takes a few days for this adaptation to take place. So, therefore, if the hyponatremia has been present and severe for a long period of time, the brain cells have adapted to this low osmolality. And this is not really a problem until the blood sodium starts to rise. And when this happens, there's an imbalance between the blood and the brain level of solutes. And water will rapidly shift out of the brain cells and into the blood. And this causes two phases of symptoms. The first phase is due to the electrolyte imbalance, and the patient presents as encephalopathic and confused. They may have headaches or nausea and vomiting. And these symptoms often resolve prior to the onset of the second phase. And the second phase is due to demyelination of the neurons. So those myelin sheaths that help the neurons to function better start to break down because of this water transferring out of these cells. This happens particularly in the pons and it occurs a few days after the rapid correction of sodium. And this might present as a spastic quadruparesis or a pseudobulbar palsy and they have cognitive and behavioural changes. And in the second phase, there's a real significant risk of death occurring. The problem with CPM is there's no treatment, so prevention is really essential, as once they start to develop the symptoms, we can only be supportive in how we treat them. And a proportion of patients will make a clinical improvement, but most of them are left with some sort of neurological deficit.